0: Diving diving deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field, here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome
1: to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. Victorious once again. Two wins in a row for the first time since the end of the 2021 season. A win at NRG Stadium for the first time. In 644 days, the Texans beat the Pittsburgh Steelers today 30-6 to six on J.J. Watt Ring of Honor Induction Day. As we welcome you into our Sunday evening uh, episode, we're just hours removed <clears throat> from the Texans win over the Steelers at NRG Stadium today. I'm Sean Pendergast. One half of Payne and Pendergast, and if you're watching on video, host of the post-game show, as you can see, I'm still at NRG Stadium right now. Joined, as always, by the Hall of Famer and my good friend and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, my lead into the post-game show today was when you take into account the fact that this team hadn't won a home game in nearly two years, the opponent, the Steelers, who aren't a great team, but they're a blue-blood team, um, the magnitude of the win, the necessity of the win, And the fact that J.J. Watt went into the ring of honor at halftime, I think today is in the argument. You would know better than I, you've been at every Texans game since inception. I think today is in the argument for one of the greatest regular season days in the history of the Houston Texans.
2: I'll agree. You know, you can't include games where they clinched to go to the playoffs or won playoffs or that first victory in franchise history over the Cowboys, but all the others over the last 22 years. It's absolutely. It's an incredible day for Houston. Astros beat Arizona. The Rangers choked against the Mariners. Astros win the division. Texans have won two in a row. This is the first time that they've won back-to-back games by at least 20 points since 2015. And I, and I know it's the first time they've beaten the Steelers since 2011, when D'Amico Ryans was in his sixth and last season, and J.J. White was a rookie.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up, John. I was at that game in 2011 as a fan. I was not yet with Sports Radio 610. That's how long it's been since they beat the Steelers. I've been at 610 for a decade. I've never been here for a win over Pittsburgh, um uh, for a win over Pittsburgh before. I remember that win at home in 2011 and it had a it had a similar feel to this one in, in this way. And I'm not comparing the 2023 Texans to the 2011 Texans. I think the 2011 Texans were the best team in the history of this franchise. If Matt Schaub doesn't get hurt, I think that team's got a chance to win a Super Bowl. But that was the game. That was early in the season. And that was a game where if, like, the Texans, I think, were 2-2 two and two going into that game. But they beat the Steelers at home. I remember they had, like, an 11-minute drive to open the game. They were leaning on Arian Foster. And that was kind of a game where, the Texans sort of announced their presence to with authority to the rest of the league. Like, okay, this Texans team might be pretty good. They just beat Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers, who were in the Super Bowl the year before, at home. Seventeen to ten was the final score. I remember that game. And look, that team went to the playoffs. That Texans team is a really good team. I do think similarly, though. Like this to me was a game today when you, especially when you combine it with that Jacksonville game. All of a sudden, John. The outlook for the Texans, at least in the near future, looks completely different than it did two weeks ago, especially when you look at the teams that they play over the next month, month and a half, really over the next few months. I mean, there are not, a, there's, I, it's hard to find a game on the schedule where I feel like this iteration of the Texans that we've seen the last couple of weeks doesn't have a chance to win, especially with the way CJ Stroud is playing. So I felt, I feel a similarity in so much as like, wow, okay, this is a Texans team that's showing the league a little bit of something here right now.
2: Next four games are against opponents from the NFC South. They got a bye week in the middle. They got a chance to, I'm not saying they're going to win all four, but they get a chance if they could split, that'd be great. And right now, every team in AFC South is two and two, tied for first or tied for last. Depends on your perspective. And the way they played against the Steelers and Jaguars, they are capable, capable of beating, I'm not saying beating. On their schedule, even Cincinnati got killed in Nashville. So we automatically put that down at a loss. There's a lot. How many teams do they play this year? And I'm guessing they'll still lose to Cincinnati, where we can look at it and go, Well, that's a loss for sure, based on what we've seen these last two weeks.
1: None. No. I mean, you and I went through this exercise during the mailbag episode this week, John. We had a we had a listener email us. After the Jacksonville game, the email is like, okay, which how many quarterbacks that they would play right now? You know, the the starting quarterbacks for these teams, how many is C.J. Stroud? If this is who he is and this week didn't do anything to diminish what he was the first three weeks, if anything, he showed even more stuff this week that he's capable of doing. If this is who C.J. Stroud is, how many quarterbacks is he better than definitively better than on their schedule the rest of the way? And and I think you counted up in those 14 games, there's 10 of them that he's better than. And the ones that were the other four were like Joe Burrow, who's been very shaky this year, Trevor Lawrence, who CJ just beat last week, and there were one or two others on the schedule the rest of the way. So um, it's, yeah, this is, John, this is this is really exciting right now for these Texan fans.
2: Absolutely. I thought last week was freakish. I watched Jacksonville bounce back, pound Atlanta in uh, London, and I thought, okay, why? Highsmith are going to kill Stroud today and they're going to come back to reality. Instead, they didn't get close to him. And it was an unbelievable performance by the coaches, by the players as well.
1: It was, I mean, there's so much credit to go around that I don't even know, John, we may need to do six stock up and and two stock down or something like that. Because today, if we were doing a stock market today, was a bull market today for the, for the Houston Texans. There was a, there was a lot of credit, a lot of credit to go around. So, um, before we get into the stock up and stock down, what did you think of the J.J. Watt halftime Ring of Honor induction?
2: I thought it was tremendous. Um, uh, went to a private party for Watt Friday night. That was fun. The mayor was there giving him proclamation, and he was going around meeting everybody and thanking him. You know, he just couldn't be any more humble. He says and does all the right things. I think it's great. He announced he's going to bring a softball game back to Constellation Field at on uh, May 4th. And uh, when he I watched did? him, yep. He announced and, that? Yep. In the okay. m- news conference where we had him before the game. And uh, so he's going to do it again to raise money for charity. And I was thinking when I was watching him Friday night was with Mayor Sylvester Turner. And I'm thinking, boy, they better hope what never wants to run for mayor Houston. Cause everybody <laughs> else would have to withdraw.
1: Yeah. John have you ever been to his softball game when he had it here uh back in the day
2: oh, yeah sure I thought
1: it was I thought JJ's charity softball game was my favorite charity event ever in this town it was it it was so fun uh that I'm, I forget I I don't know if they well he had it at Constellation field the first few times he did it and then I think he moved it to Minimade park one
2: Maid park right
1: yeah yeah so he's back at Constellation now doing it yep. next year okay oh that'll, that'll be cool May 4th
2: May 4th, also I thought it was interesting. Jim Crane and his wife, Whitney, were at the game today, and I'm guessing they stayed up in the owner's suite with Janice and Cal and Hannah McNair and watched the uh, Astros game. And a great day for him and the McNairs all around. Great to see Janice McNair out there as far as the celebration. And one of the coolest things was watch J.J. come out with his son, Coa and run a gauntlet, walk a gauntlet of congratulations With all so many of his former teammates on the red carpet.
1: Oh, dude, there were many of his former teammates, and many people who were just Houston Texans that wanted to be down, former Houston Texans that never played with JJ, but want to be down there to pay their respects to JJ. There must have been 100 former players down there on the field, John. That was crazy. Yeah. Texans did
2: a great job putting on that show. Everything. Yeah. Greg, it starts with him as the president, and then McNair's, of course. Omar Masoud, the PR guy, they did just did a tremendous job starting the time he got off his private plane last week because he was here multiple days being feeded when he was back in town. And uh, I know he gets to do a lot of cool stuff. You know, he, he saw the Saturday Night Live, Country Music Association Awards. He's done some neat things, but he said there's nothing like coming back here.
1: He told a story on the pregame show with me and Seth um, where I, I asked him, uh, you know, we've watched the last three days play out on social media, all the things that he's been doing that you talked about the event on Friday and, you know, partying with his teammates and things like that, former teammates. And uh, I asked him, I said, is there any point in the last few days where you got even more nostalgic than you thought you would about coming back here? And he said, he said nothing specific like with the team or anything, but he said just as far as being back in Houston, and he went and talked again about something he always talks about with Houston, about how Houston is family, and it took him in. And he's he's always felt that connection with the city when he's been here. But the story that he told, just as an example of just how hospitable Houston is, was that he and Kalia rented a house here in town for everybody to stay at. I'm guessing the parents, his parents came in and stayed there probably. Derek probably stayed there just to probably- DJ's
2: wife, she was in town.
1: Yeah, probably like a big Airbnb for everybody. That they that that JJ rented, but he he seemed to imply that he rented it, but not under his name. Um, but somehow, whoever's house it was, or whoever was in charge of it, whatever the leasing company, whatever that may be, put two and two together with whatever name it was, and he said he showed up at that house, and the the entire counter was catered barbecue from his favorite barbecue place. Uh, they had a Texans jersey for Koa with a number 99 on it, like a little a baby's Jersey, ready to go for Koa. And it's probably three or four other things that were very specific to just welcoming him into that Airbnb or whatever it was they were, they were staying. And I thought it was a really, really cool story.
2: Han and Cal McNair had a little red jacket like Watt and Andre Johnson and Bob McNair got when they went into the ring of honor. And, uh, it's a little, I mean, it's small, but it was so cute so he could wear his red jacket lip with his daddy
1: yeah that's awesome that that was a the pictures were great his speech was great at halftime john you got your wish they opened the windows up in the press box did you did you make that happen john were they not going to do it and then you you I kind don't of pushed know to do it
2: or not i requested it but uh, yeah. i'm sure they were planning it anyway so everybody could soak up the atmosphere
1: i don't know john you got a lot of stroke i wouldn't have thought to ask about that i i, I would take credit for that if i were you you're the one shouting from the rooftops. i can't
2: that. take any credit for it
1: I'm going to I'm going to give you credit for it, whether you like it or not. All right. Uh, so Texans win today, 30 to six over the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Huge win two and two, as John mentions, the entire AFC South two and two right now And the world is the Texans oyster right now. They've got four games coming up against the NFC South. And John, did you tell me before we went on the air or before we started recording that the Texans are road favorites in Atlanta next week? That's crazy. That is crazy. God, that's, I mean, I'm, I believe it. I think they're the best. I thought they were the better team against Pittsburgh. I certainly think they're better than an Atlanta team that scored three points two weeks ago and seven points this week against the same team the Texans hung 37 on in Jacksonville last week. So I, I'm enthusiastic. I'm fired up, man. CJ, everything is, and I don't want to hijack four stock up and four stock down. But this is the best i felt about this team in a long, long time. This feels really, really good. I agree
2: with you 100%. Last time I felt this good about a team was when they beat Buffalo in a wild card game, and then they led Kansas City 24-0. Then it was yep. all down the toilet. But um, I watched Atlanta today. Desmond Ritter, he has not played well at quarterback, and they might as well keep playing him and be bad. A friend of mine works for the Falcons. I texted him. I said, hey. If you keep losing, you got a chance to get a really good quarterback. Mm-hmm. If the draft were today, Chicago would have the first two picks. They could yep. Get Caleb, I said, John. Caleb William's and, and Marvin Harrison, Jr.
1: Yeah. John, you know what? And I said that to, uh, I said that to Clint, uh, not on the air, but off the air. Cause we had red zone on here in the studio. And the Cardinals were playing the Niners. And at that juncture in the game, the Cardinals were being their usual frisky selves this year. I think they'd cut it to 21-16 against the 49ers. Niners went on to win 35-16. But I I said everybody thought the Cardinals were going to have the first two picks in the draft this year and it turns out both the cardinals and the texans i think are way peskier than people thought they would be. The cardinals are not a they're not a bad football team. I mean they're they're bad. I mean they're probably going to wind up being bad, but they beat the cowboys last week and they've been competitive in their three losses so far, which is actually something the texans can't say. They weren't competitive in either of their two losses, but um but it would be funny to me though with the cardinals and everybody lauding Monty Austin for their GM is like, okay, this is how you do it. You're going to get the first pick and you're going to trade and get the second pick and you're going to get Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. My wish is that the Cardinals win like six games this year, that the Texans who now look capable of who knows, maybe winning eight, nine, 10 games, who knows. um, But that the Cardinals wind up with like the, the, the 10th and the 18th pick in the draft instead of one and two, and then I'm looking at the standings. We're going through the out-of-town scoreboard. I'm going, oh, my God, Chicago might actually end up with the first two picks. Uh, they're they're 0-4 in the Car- in the Panthers. They have the Panthers pick from the Bryce Young trade, 0-4 right now. That The Panthers might have been the team that screwed this thing up, not the Texans by trading for Will Anderson.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love,
2: The uh, Bears have never had a great quarterback, a great quarterback who throws a lot of touchdown passes. They've had quarterbacks who've won, they've won championships. One of the reasons is it's hard playing at Soldier Field right there on the lake, but they just have never had a great passing quarterback who consistently throw the football. And if I'm Caleb Williams and I'm thinking about winners in Chicago and I'm doing Burger King commercials and these other national commercials, I'm thinking about staying in school and hoping like hell the better Bears are better next year. And if I'm Marvin Harrison Jr., I wouldn't want to go to Chicago either. And uh, you know, how many great receivers have there been throughout the decades? Bears have great offensive linemen, great running backs, defensive players, and they've won. But boy, it is a hard place to throw the football in right now. It's amazing how bad they are, and they had the Broncos beaten, and they just choked it.
1: Yeah, good. I I, I couldn't decide who I wanted to win that game. I hate. Both I want of those the teams.
2: Broncos to lose. I want I, Sean Payton to lose.
1: I, I I do too. But Ryan Poles is annoying to me. Their general manager. He's he's doing every interview under the sun after he makes that trade with the Panthers. He traded the first pick of the second round for Chase Claypool. They don't even have him in the stadium today because he's such a he's such a D-bag. So uh so yeah, that would be wild if the Bears had the first two picks. And I'm with you. If I were Caleb Williams, that would be the one place that I would think about saying, nah, I'll go back to USC, hang out with coeds for another year and clock about three million in NIL and then see what happens. Because the Bears probably would then draft just, just draft Drake May. They'd draft a quarterback, probably, yeah, would be my guess. And then even if they're high in the draft. Of next year they won't draft Caleb Williams. One would think. All right, um, let's get to four stock up and four stock down, John. Let's 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 hammer these bad boys out here. We'll and as always, coming
2: up with four stock down. Well, I'm, like, I'm not even. I'm gonna NFL. I'm gonna
1: step out. I'm gonna step outside of the Texans. i I might go over the Steelers to do some stock down in in, in <laughs> this game just to keep the game in the mix here for it. But let's let's do four stock up and four stock down. You go first. Stock up.
2: Offensive line. Offensive line blocked the best. It's blocked for the running game. He was not sacked Stroud for the second game in a row. He had a lot to do with that, but so did they. He had some time to throw, throw the ball down the field. The offensive line, they rotated Austin Deculus at left tackle, who we've killed, with Gron Christian, who was signed last week. And then left guard, Kendrick Green, he got hurt in the fourth quarter. Jimmy Morrissey, a center activated off the practice squad, had to come in. Course rookie center, Jarrett Patterson, right guard, Shaq Mason and right tackle George Fant those guys should take a bow, bow for a job well done now Laramie Tunsell, Titus Howard are coming back they'll be practicing Juice Scruggs could be back and I'm thinking Jarrett Patterson there's a good chance he could go to left guard because that guy's playing well which just makes his draft class even better
1: yeah, it does. I, John, I think there's a chance Jared Patterson stays at center. You know, like that, that feels like a chemistry position to me with a quarterback. I, w- I don't know why you'd want to mess with anything that CJ Stroud literally and figuratively puts his hands on at this point. Um, I would really think about if juice Scruggs can play guard and you want to get your best five out there. I would think about leaving Patterson at center right now. Why mess with something that's not working? at such an important position.
2: Well, he had a lot of time with Scruggs. Those two did. You know, they weren't going back to the start of training camp, so they were together a long time. And Patterson all that period was playing guard, so it might be easier for him to make that transition, even though in college both of them did
1: both. All right, my first stock up, John, is Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator today, who I thought schemed a great game. And I've got got a few examples that I jotted down during the postgame show he went out and did something today that the Texans for three years with Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson could not do, which is, go let me guess. Can I guess? A, yeah, go ahead, John. Go ahead. They you, were the a,
2: worst screen team I've ever seen.
1: Actually, that's not what it was going to be, but yeah, oh, was okay. good, it, it was cool to see the Texans run some, some well-set up screens today, including one to Damian Pierce on their first drive. No, they went and scored a touchdown on their first drive. Remember how much trouble Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson had generating <laughs> touchdowns on their opening I drive. Forgot. Like, Crazy <laughs> bad, like crazy, crazy bad. But that's a staple of the San Francisco 49ers and Kyle Shanahan is they script those first 10 or 15 plays. They they run them all week long, and they come out and they execute. And that's what they did today. They executed so well, John, that they were able to overcome two Shaq Mason penalties in the red zone. They were able to get a pass interference penalty that really helped them out on third down when they were goal to go down there. Um, but uh, they, they actually – had three different times they had touchdowns called on the field, but one got called back after a review of CJ Stroud scramble that I thought was just a winner kind of, that was a winning play by CJ. He just, you know, I and I thought the reversal of that call was shaky at best. If you want to know the truth. And then Damian Pierce would have gotten in on that little screen pass down near, down in the red zone, Shaq Mason, illegal man downfield, but then they're able to get the touchdown to Nico Collins. The first drive where they scripted, John, the aggressiveness at the end of the half where they hit the two big plays to Nico Collins for 42 yards and 15 yards, that's something I don't think we would have seen recent Texan teams be able to do. Um, I thought the creativity, especially early in the game of using Tank Dell on some of those reverses that they did, you know, it's a game where it's probably going to be tough sledding, running the ball up the middle, and it was. I thought they did it better than they've done in recent weeks, but the creativity to use a speedster like Tank Dell to not have to worry about running through the clutter in the middle and and using him to 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 gain some yards. I thought was really good. The hatback option pass with Devin Singletary, super creative there. And then the kill shot on the last touchdown drive. John, the Texans had two possessions in the fourth quarter of this game, both ended in touchdowns. One burned up five and a half minutes. The other burned up six and a half minutes. I thought Bobby Slowick in C.J. Stroud's ear probably, but then C.J. Stroud himself burning clock the way that they did to watch CJ just sit there under center in the fourth quarter and let the sh- let the play clock bleed down to three seconds two seconds and have the poise to be able to execute and finish those drives with touchdowns not burn some clock and punt it back and leave it up to your defense they went and scored and that's that this is a John I was real critical of Bobby Sloak on this podcast sitting in this very chair at the stadium two weeks ago I said he's just a guy who worked for Kyle Shanahan Which is still factually true, but he's a lot more than that two weeks later. He, this was a, I said to you on Friday, John, if they win, I'm going to come in on Sunday on the podcast and say, that was the Bobby Slowick game. So I'm here to tell you, this was a Bobby Slowick game.
2: When I interviewed Kyle Shanahan after D'Amico got the job and he hired Slowick, Kyle said, because both those guys went to work with him his first season and uh, at the bottom of the coaching rung, and he said that he knew whichever one got a job first, Miko or Slowick, would take the other one with him because they were really good friends, had a great working relationship. And, and Slowick knows, had he stayed with the 49ers, he would have had a better chance to become a head coach quicker. But because Kyle calls the plays, Slowick told Shanahan, I, I want to call plays. I need to succeed. I need to fail. I need to be able to bounce back from failure. So Kyle couldn't argue with that. So he came here. He started slow. He's He has not repeated his mistakes. And I like the fact that he owned his mistakes. And uh, he's just done a, a tremendous job. The whole coaching staff, part of the lead on my column on Sports Radio 610 is going to be about the coaching staff and some things I've heard behind the scenes. and uh, But I thought Bobby was great. All the coaches were.
1: It was and, a very, yeah. very well coached game. Very. now I
2: coached Mike Tomlin, one of the best coaches in the NFL. The Steelers just looked overmatched on the field and on the sideline.
1: John, in the last two weeks, D'Amico Ryan and his staff have out coached two guys that have won Super Bowls in, in their careers, and Doug Peterson and Mike Tomlin. Yeah. Great point. So, that's been great. Um, all right. What's your next stock up, my friend?
2: Nico Collins. Nico, yeah. it's pretty obvious. He's gotten a lot stronger. I don't remember when he flashed his first two years that he made plays where he broke so many tackles. His yak, yards after a catch, has got to be number one in the league. After he he gets hit, he breaks tackles. You know, he's 6'4". They list him at 215, but all those weights are off because we haven't gotten any since they were in college. But I'll guarantee you he's added strength and weight. And, and he just – nobody – those DBs, one DB has a hard time bringing him down. And whether it's a big play like the end of the Jacksonville game at the end of the first half to set up a field goal or a touchdown, I can't even remember, and then these two touchdowns. And the end of the game on that 52-yarder, boy, great protection, a perfect pinpoint pass, and he broke a tackle. So he averaged 24 yards a catch today and I think I figured he's averaging 19.7 for the season. Mm. He has become a big-time weapon, and he knows, and his agent knows, Nick Casario likes to give uh, extensions to guys who earn it and some guys who don't earn it. So he is looking for a, a huge payday.
1: Yeah, no question about that. He is looking at a huge payday. Still got one year left after this year. And I would say if I was Nick Casario, I would want to see Nico get through a full season healthy before I do anything. That's been an issue for him the last couple of years. But, you're, John, you're absolutely right. I was doing the numbers. He's on pace for over 90 catches and over 1,800 yards receiving this year.
2: I'll look for him to get it sometime uh, probably in March.
1: And You think they'll extend him a year early if he makes it through the season? Absolutely. They
2: don't want to let his contract expire and then have to franchise him. They might have somebody else needs to be franchised.
1: Yeah. Well, and I and I and we know the other thing we know, Nick likes to pay guys that that are in the building that they can watch their work habits and that they know. You know, they'd rather pay the devil they know than the devil they don't. Um so hey man, I hope I hope he gets that deal because it means he made it through a full season healthy, but he's been outstanding. And it was, it was a field goal he set up last week, John, towards the end of the half against Jacksonville with that twenty eight yard catch and run. This is the only big play he had the last game. Today he had a ton of big plays like he's been doing all year long. So, yeah, he's been the guy to set up those end-of-half points that the Texans have been able to steal. The Texans have gone into the half up 17-0 and up 16-0 the last two weeks. They're coaching them up, man. That's That's been good stuff to see. All right, um, last stock up for me. I almost feel like Bobby Slowick is attached at the hip with C.J. Stroud. So I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball where there's actually a lot of guys we could pick. I thought Henry Toa Toa had a nice game today. Nice pass breakup in the end zone on uh, George Pickens. Um, I thought Steven Nelson was really good again today with his interception. I'm going to give it to Jonathan Grenard, who we had on the post game show actually here. The biggest play of this game, John, was the fourth and one that the Steelers decided to go for in field goal territory. They could have kicked a field goal there and made it a one score game. It would have made it 16 to nine. The fourth and one, which I don't know what Matt Canada was thinking, putting the ball in Kenny Pickett's hands. Najee Harris had broken about 50 tackles in the second half of that football game, and he decides to throw the ball on fourth and one. And Jonathan Grenard just – I mean, he he literally destroyed Kenny Pickett. He knocked him out of the game. He was done after that, and he's got a knee injury now. Um, But Grenard had a sack early in the game too. Uh, He had two sacks in the game, three TFLs, three QB hits. We've been waiting on this from Jonathan Grenard – for a little while now. I know he had the good season in 2021 where he had the, the eight sacks in uh in, in twelve games, but he still only played twelve games. And then he was injured last year and he was injured his rookie year. You know, this is John and Renardo has always felt like a guy, John. Like, boy, if he can just stay healthy and put it all together, he could really be something. John, this year so far, he's really been something. He's been really, really good. And he had the biggest play of the game today.
2: Do you know that they had more tackles for loss today than they had in the first three games? And one of the reasons was him. And one, I'll tell you something, I'm not impressed with Pickett. He rolled right into that sack. He did. Grenard was being blocked by the left tackle. Grenard looks up and Pickett's coming right at him. And he just shedded him, grabbed him, and sacked him, and injured him. And had he stayed in the pocket or rolled the other way, but Pickett did not have good pocket awareness. No. I just wasn't impressed with him at all. His rating was terrible. Their two best wide receivers, the speed guys, they average, they average fewer than nine yards a catch. It's just an all-around great job by the Texans defense, just like the offense.
1: Absolutely. All right. Let's find some stock down, John. And we'll do it with a caveat. Then a game the Texans win 30 to 6. If you want to go outside of the Texans, either over to over the Steelers side, or even if you want to use somebody in another game around the league, or hell, use the Texas Rangers if you want to. John, I don't care. It's four stock. It's our podcast. We can do whatever the hell we want, but we got to find four people or teams or entities that are stocked down right now. So you go first.
2: Well, I want to say Ty Zettner, the punter, and he'll be gone when Cam Johnston's eligible to come off our uh, this week. 35-yard 30, average, thirty-five yard net, 38-average, 35-net, not good. But since we can go around the league, I'm taking Deshaun Watson. There were media reports that he was going to play. And then one of them who said he's going to play tweeted, well, he thought he was going to play. The Browns thought he's going to play. His people thought he was going to play. In other words, they leaked the story to me, and I was wrong. But he didn't play. He had a sore right shoulder. And a lot of people up there are questioning, saying he could have played, acting like he's not tough. Well. He's tough. We saw that in 2018 when he had fractured ribs and a collapsed lung, and he still played. So if if he goes out there and he can't tells them he can't play because of a sore shoulder, I buy it. But they came out of that game with Miles Garrett in the boot. Their defense played terrible for the first time, and it's a loss, and every loss helps the Texans because they have the Browns' first uh, first draft choice.
1: Yeah, I'm really anxious to see how this shoulder injury plays out with Deshaun, John. Uh, and just see, you know, if it, it doesn't seem like it's anything serious because, like you said, he had intimated during the week that he was going to play this week. So if I, by definition, I feel like it can't be that serious if there was a chance he could have played on Sunday. Um, but I'm, I'm anxious to see this play out in Cleveland. I, I feel like Cleveland is a city, John, that with Deshaun right now, he's had one good game there out of like eight or nine games that he's played, statistically, one good game. He's won a few other games, but that's been the defense and the running game winning for them. I'm anxious to see how this particular thing Plays out. Look, Deshaun never – Other, than, I mean, he tore the ACL uh, in his rookie year. Other than that, he never missed games here because of injury. And he was banged up, as you pointed out, John. Like, he played a lot of games – probably banged up some that he was publicly banged up, like taking a bus to Jacksonville because he had a bruised lung. And I'm sure several other games, like every player, where by the second half of the season you're dealing with some sort of issue. He only missed one game in the last three years with the Texans, and that was because they rested him in Week 17 when they had already clinched a playoff spot. I'm very anxious to see how this plays out with Deshaun and Cleveland. Cleveland radio will be one that I will go stick my beacon on tomorrow and take a listen to.
2: Yeah, they're, they're they're eviscerating him up there, and I don't think it's fair. If he yeah. says he's hard, he's hard.
1: Yeah. Um, another city that I've been poking my beak in on, John, and just taking a listen, and I will listen even more acutely tomorrow, is Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Carolina Panthers are now 0-4 on the season, as you pointed out a, a bit earlier. Um, but Bryce Young was back in the saddle today. He was under center today, and it did not go well for Bryce Young today. He did manage to average six yards per attempt today, so there's yay Bryce for that generated no touchdowns against the Minnesota Vikings, by the way, who are 0-3, generated no touchdowns. The only touchdown Carolina scored was a pick six off of Kirk Cousins. And then one of the touchdowns that Minnesota scored in a game that they won by eight was a fumble by Bryce Young that got returned for a touchdown. So Bryce Young continues to struggle. And this is one of those – you know what this is, John? This is the quarterback version so far, four games in, of Derek Stingley Jr. and Sauce Gardner. Is what it is. If you're in Carolina right now, you're going, man, we could have had C.J. Stroud. You know, we could have had C.J. Stroud. And it's four games and Bryce Bryce will probably be fine. I know C.J. is going to be fine. This looks really good so far. But this this is the John, this is the quarterback version. Carolina is probably I would imagine fans up there are feeling probably much more acutely because of the position, a way more important position than lockdown corner is quarterback. I would imagine they're probably four games in, feeling a little bit of what we felt with Derek Stingley Jr. versus Sauce Gardner last year, don't you think?
2: Absolutely. And my other one, the Bears, they're up 28-7 to in the third quarter, and they proved they're not the Baylor Bears, who were down 35-7 to with four minutes left in the third quarter, who showed some guts and heart and came back and won. And the Bears look like they're tanking. Mm-hmm. And they were awful. And i to see Sean Payton come back and pull it out. They should have been <laughs> embarrassed, but falling behind so much against Chicago. That is absolutely terrible. And I'm guessing all heads are going to roll in Chicago after, after the season, but man, it's inexcusable when you're leading much at home. To blow it or Chicago or just central Florida.
1: Yep. Uh, no, absolutely. That's, that's a, uh... That's a good one. John, I'm going to stick in this game, uh, the game right here with the Steelers and the uh, and the Texans today. And I know that uh, everybody's celebrating J.J. Watt in the Ring of Honor, as am I. I love J.J. Watt. It was great. It was an awesome ceremony. It was great to talk to him on the pregame show. He was awesome in that, in that interview. One of the things I asked him, though, was, hey, um, now that you're a national uh Radio or not national radio, but now that you're a broadcaster, you know, you're a personality on the air. You're an analyst. You know, you're asked for your unbiased, subjective opinion on things. How do you remain objective when it comes to talking about your brother, TJ Watt, in the context of the defensive player of the year conversation? And he said, well, it's really easy to do because just look at the numbers. He's the best defensive player. You know, he, his exact his exact quote was, you know, how I am able to approach that objectively. I'm not an idiot. That's what he said. I, I I I can look at the numbers. CJ's got six sacks. He scored a touchdown. He's forced fumbles. He's done all these things. Along those lines, today was a stock down day for TJ Watt's Defensive Player of the Year campaign. No doubt about it. He had two tackles. He had a QB hit. He was pretty much invisible out there. I don't think it, it's because the Texans necessarily shut down TJ Watt. Like I don't think it was because George Fant locked up TJ Watt or anything. I think Bobby Slowick and CJ Stroud deserve a lot of credit for both the scheme and CJ's intellect. And getting rid of the ball as quickly as he did when there was pressure. But if you're gonna if you're gonna stand in with you know Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa and and others who are making big plays defensively around the league, whoever it may be, it's tough to have a two-tackle game with no sacks. Now the good news is he still has six in four games. He's still well on pace. on pace to break the record for sacks still. But it's a slight stock down. His odds for defensive player of the year, John, on those boards this week when we get the update. It's in green when your odds improve. It's in red when your odds decrease. And T.J. Watt will have his odds in red this week. He's he's by definition a stock down.
2: I got an extra one, and this is a good one. Okay. Colin Coward.
1: <laughs> yes, John McClain. Colin yes.
2: Coward's stock's down because his credibility's down because of the way he talked about Stroud. I can't wait to see what he says now if he's going to a little – Eat a little humble pie if he can get that egg off his face.
1: He's He he uh, he uh had a take on CJ this week that was not totally like a mea culpa, like I was wrong or whatever, but he was complimentary of Stroud. But his takes, and especially if Bryce Young doesn't have a good rookie year, and Anthony Richardson did some things today. I think today was like a typical Anthony, what a typical Anthony Richardson game is going to be, where he went through three quarters and he was just awful. And then all of a sudden, he makes two huge plays in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden, the Colts are back in the game. Like an all-or-nothing thing. I think he was 11 for 25 throwing the football, Anthony Richardson. Long-term, that's not a recipe for success, obviously. But C.J. Stroud is so far ahead of both of these guys right now. like He's ridiculously – yeah, and so that'll be – if this holds up, uh, yeah, I'm with you. That's a good bonus one, John. I like that. I like that (laughs) a lot. All right, um, I'm assuming there's a report card coming out soon, Professor.
2: Yeah, it should be on SportsRadio610.com. I don't think I've ever given as many A-pluses as I did, starting with the overall grade as well as the coaches and and the offensive line and uh, C.J. Stroud. So I feel bad not giving any Fs and any F-minuses. I feel like I'm losing my touch. I forgot what it's like to give a lot of As.
1: John, you know what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to move to Chicago and start a podcast there. You can give out all the Fs in the world up there right now. <laughs>
2: it's kind of fun being positive for a change. Oh,
1: you're telling me. John, I just got done doing a 3-hour post-game show where the phone lines were full of positive people and excited people leaving the stadium. Clint Sterner and I have not experienced well, we've not experienced that in at least 644 days. I don't remember what the post-game was <laughs> for that Charger game back then, but that was the game where your guy rushed for 140 yards, John. Who was it? Reg's bleeping Burkhead. That's it, man. So that's so I, I promise you it probably wasn't a super excited post-game show as you're winding down. Uh I think the, I think the Texans had like seven guys out on COVID for that charger game back then, too. Um this is different. You know, this is this is true excitement where you can really, for the first time in years, look at next week's game and go, all right, man, they they can they're favored to win this game. And you look at the next game, you go, yeah, back home for the Saints. Saints ain't all that. You can win that game and they can win that game. It's it, uh, it just got fun all of a sudden here in it, the last two weeks.
2: Sean, these two games offer hope. Yes, we yeah. haven't had any hope around here that they could that they could be really good. I thought it would be next year before they compete. Now I'm thinking about okay, they're they're ahead of where we thought they were. They're going to have a lot of money to spend in free agency if Nick Casario wants to do it. They're going to have still have first, second, and third-round picks with the number one being the first-round pick they got from the Browns. So uh, if if they do surprise people, and you remember mentioned earlier 8, 9, or 10 wins, if they could yeah. get in that neighborhood next year, I think people might fall in love with them.
1: I think so, too. And it's, and, and it's a very likable team. It's really hard not to like D'Amico Ryans, C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, You know the guys who are going to be the foundation of this thing for hopefully the next – 10 or 12 years 15 years whatever it is uh hopefully a long long time so this is a whole lot of fun and we appreciate all of you uh tuning in John I enjoy I always say I enjoyed it as always this one was extra special this was fun to see this team on a day where JJ Watt goes into the ring of honor do what they did today this was a th- it's this it's this was a great day like that's the simplest way I can put it
2: and it's going to be a fun week with the Texans getting ready to go to the Falcons and the Astros getting ready to play either Carlos Correa or George Springer?
1: Yep, love that angle. I'm glad you hit that. Yes, either Springer or Correa in the next round of the playoffs. And the Astros get to sit back and stack their pitching, watch these teams beat up on each other. And, John, it's almost like all those losses to the Royals and A's never happened. They ended up not mattering in the end because there's no way they were going to catch the Orioles. They finished 10 games back or whatever, 10 or 11 games back. The Orioles won 100 games this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so the Astros were never going to catch them anyway. So, you know, all those losses to the Royals and the A's sweep swept by the Yankees. No big deal. My friend, I'm glad,
2: I'm glad they won the division and get the buy, but I wish they had to play all their games on the road.
1: No, John, this is better. Like, and now I hope you feel it. Cause you, it felt like uh, you were a little kind of almost wanting that wild card round a little bit, not as much as some people who thought it would actually not having to play a series that is basically a coin flip on the road is a good thing. Everybody. I'm just going to say that this is good that they won the division and they're flipping the switch at home. I'm telling you right now, they will be super successful at home in the post. You're right.
2: Cause electric's
1: on the road. I've been right a lot lately. Not necessarily it's about baseball, but I, 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 picked the Texans to cover against the Jags and I picked them to beat the Steelers outright two weeks ago. And now here we are two and two on the season. baby. And I bet
2: you're going to pick them to beat the Falcons.
1: Oh, amen. Dude. It's I'm going to be picking them to win a lot of games here in the near future. Just spoiler alert. Let me tell you right now. All right. um, So, uh, so we are done. Uh, It's a a jubilant great day for Houston Texan fans. Big thanks to James Jackson, our producer for getting you this podcast, especially on a Sunday night, Um, making sure you guys have it. So when you're driving in or you're uh, listening in your cubicle early in the morning, or maybe even uh, up late tonight, you got something to listen to about the Texans, some positive, fun Texans talk about this win over the, uh, the Steelers. So for James, for John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see all of you on Tuesday. Mailbag episode, HOUmailbag at gmail.com. Send your emails in, man. This is a team you want to email us about any questions about anything with the Texans Astros or going on around the world of football. We want to hear from you. HOUmailbag at gmail.com. We are done. We will see all of you on Tuesday. Until then, have a great day or have a great night. I should say everybody.